Greetings, listeners, domestic, international, extraterrestrial, and sideshow attractions. I'm Dave Reed. And I'm Kristen Riley. And this is The Cast Files. The Cast Files is a podcast where we watch and discuss every episode of The X-Files, spoiler-free. Today we're talking about Season 2, Episode 20, Humbug. It aired in March because it's not a Christmas episode. No. 31st, 1995. It was written by Darren Morgan, directed by Kim Manners, who is a man. Please Google it. (laughs) All right. IMDb says the agents search for a killer in a Florida town inhabited by sideshow performers. And where are we? I saw the little blurb on Hulu before I started the episode and went, oh my God, are we in Gibsonton, Florida? And I said, yes, we are. That is so exciting. I love Gibsonton. Yes. We are, what, 30 minutes away? From here. 45 minutes? I mean, from here, less. Oh, okay. Definitely less. But. I'm giving ballpark. It doesn't have to be specific. But yes, we're very close to Gibsonton and have visited. And I will talk a little bit about it in a bit. And I've just been all over Gibsonton because of what I do for a living. That's true. Yes. And it's a wonderful place where you can just, if you go to the right spots and you know where to go, you can just see elephants and giraffes and people's front yards that just have carnival rides in them. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) It's it's a fantastic place. It is. So the synopsis is uh, a bizarre murder in Florida brings Mulder and Scully to a town populated by circus freaks, which is not what I, is not the term that I use, but is the term that's used in this, and sideshow performers of all shapes and sizes, bringing into question the very definition of quote unquote normal. Oh, does it now? Yes. Interesting. All right. So we get into the cast. We have two repeat Offenders. <laughs> Offenders? <laughs> Repeat players in the X-File universe. John Payne was, uh, he plays a guard in this one, and he was in the Erlenmeyer Flask. We also have Gordon Tipple, who previously played a detective in Eve. And, oh, we had three. And Joe Crandall in Young and Heart. Oh, I'm sorry. Still two he played in two. We have guest stars, Jim Rose as Dr. Blockhead. Did you have anything you wanted to say about him? I did not find anything interesting about him. Uh, The owner and proprietor of the Jim Rose Circus. Okay, that makes sense. Wayne Grace as the sheriff, James Hamilton. He was in Mulholland Drive and also in Friday the 13th, colon, the final chapter. Oh, was it? I don't think so. (laughs) You don't think so? No. Okay. I don't remember what any of the names are. (laughs) Me neither, but I can guarantee you (laughs) that was not the final chapter. We also have Michael Anderson as Mr. Nutt. He was also in Mulholland Drive. I see. And Carnival. Yes. Which I cannot believe you let me watch all the way to the end of season two and let me see the end of season two. And that was the end of season two. It's a great show. And he's great in that show. Yes. And he's also really good in Twin Peaks. Yes. I'm just still mad. And I have to remind everybody how salty I am about the end of season two of Carnival. (laughs) I suggest everybody watch it. It's really good all the way up until the end. (laughs) We have the Enigma as the Conundrum. It was well named. You know, I tried to look up the Enigma also. Well, I did look up the Enigma. I tried to find something that I thought would be interesting. And it's besides him being the tattooedest man and holding the Guinness World Record for the number of tattoo jigsaw puzzle pieces. So the Enigma 
is known as the most jigsaw puzzle pieced tattooed person. Okay. Um, Not just the most tattooed person? Mm-mm. Okay. And at one time, he had something like 23 people tattooing him at once. <laughs> That seems like not enough skin for that many people. I, yes, 23 tattoos were underway at once, which is just a lot. That's too many. It's, it's, I need to see a picture of how everybody was positioned because it, how? Yeah. So. I was surprised by him having regular people teeth. Oh yeah, here's a picture of him as a non-performer. Oh wow, interesting. I mean, I guess he was actually a performer because he was in a band here. So he was a different kind of performer. Oh, okay. Pre all of the body mods. Well, he's got human regular teeth there, too. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking of somebody else when I think they have a mouthful of Maybe. filed down teeth. I know who you're, I, I know what you're talking about. I don't know whose mouth that is. Yeah, I don't either now. And then we have Vincent Schiavalli yes, as we Lanny. Do. And so he's in a ton of stuff, but instead of saying what all he's in, because we've seen him in a ton of stuff, did you know that he authored three cookbooks? Oh, good for him. Yeah. I know him as Uncle Anyos from... A couple episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yes. Most people know him from Ghost. Yes. He's the Subway Ghost. He was in Ghost. That's correct. He's in. He's he's one of those really good character actors. Yes, he's in a lot of stuff. But I was like, we've all seen him in stuff, and he's always great. So here's some something else you might not know. So here's a little bit about the uh, the reception. Humbug was the first explicitly comedic episode in the series and Morgan would go on to contribute five more scripts that furthered his comic take on the show. This was an explicitly comedic episode? That's what they're saying. Okay. Yeah. In his 2002 book Strange TV, M. Keith Booker describes Humbug as an important episode in the show's ironization of its exploration of otherness. From the start, it challenges the characters and viewers' assumption about difference. Oh, okay. I mean, they actually do have some good lines in here. Yeah. And it's also got some funny stuff in it, too. I just don't know if it's an explicitly comedic episode. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot. And uh, unfortunately, we are on a bit of a time crunch because I would love to just spend so much time talking about this. And in the, the X-Files book that's over there, I can't remember what it's called, Monster of the Week, there's some really good stuff in it. So Reception, Humbug received praise from critics, which... We, yeah. we also Good praised job. it. We're amateur critics, I guess. I suppose so. We're very critical sometimes. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> and very amateurish. All the time. Yeah. In a 2010 review of the episode, the AV Club's Emily Vanderwolf gave it a grade A. She noted the difference between the style of the episode and previous stories of the series, saying that at first it, quote, feels like it might be a very special murder she wrote or something, unquote. And later, quote, we're clearly in some other show entirely. The only links in the continuity chain being Mulder and Scully themselves, unquote. I didn't feel like it was so super far. No, there's definitely supernatural stuff going on. Yeah. Well, I guess maybe not well, supernatural, but... Monsters of the Week. Yeah. I... And I'm not saying that as the sideshows. There's a literal monster situation. Kind of, yeah. I mean, it's I, definitely yeah. not physically possible. Okay, what, all right. What happened? <laughs> I'm trying not to be disrespectful, but also this this is a monster scenario. I call it a quato multiple times in my notes, so. Open your mind. I think you're fine. Okay. But yes, overall, it was a lot of good, good reviews. A terrific episode, well-written and odd, said another AV Club writer, uh, Zach Handlin. And again, overall, 
We enjoyed it. So, you ready to get into the summary? Sure. In the town of Gibsonton, Florida... Woo, Gib Town! Two brothers are playing in their home outdoor swimming pool. It's an above-ground pool, which is actually perfect for Gibsonton area. <laughs> also perfect for the kids being this age because I also played in above-ground pools when I was about their age. And so I was in Florida at my aunt's house whenever we'd come visit. <laughs> and so I was just like, aw, childhood. <laughs> <laughs> A mysterious figure approaches them from the woods surrounding their home and jumps into the pool without them noticing. As the brothers play, they notice something is wrong. And before they leave the pool, a figure emerges from the water. And they scream. And then the guy grabs them. And then they're like, oh, dad. And (laughs) it's so sweet. Because the, uh, the person who jumped into the pool was their father, the alligator man who was scaring them for fun, and obviously they had a great time with it. He had been away for a while, and so he was really excited to be back and to see his family, and he was surprising the boys and then sending them inside because mom will kill him if they're, if she finds out that they're all out in the pool, which was foreshadowing. What? The Quato was their mom? <laughs> I didn't pick up on that at all. <laughs> The boys leave to go inside because they're good little boys because everybody's good in this scenario. And the father stays behind to swim. While he's out there, the same thing happens, only this time it's not his dad, unfortunately. Unfortunately. And we see him dying in the pool and bleeding out in his pool. (sighs) And then we see um, his sideshow trailer that says, Alligator Man, is he man? Is he beast is he monster and r.i.p gerald yeah so a little bit about gibsonton gibsonton was famous as a sideshow wintering town where various people in the carnival and circus businesses would spend the off season because it's warm down here it is placing it near the winter home for the ringling brothers circus which it is the ringling brothers circus is located in sarasota or the ringling brothers Barnum and Bailey, whatever, the the huge mansion is located in Sarasota. They have a really cool museum. There's a that was a rich family, so they have a lot of rich family stuff, but um, there is a cool circus museum there if you ever get the opportunity to go. And yes, it's located pretty close to Tampa, Sarasota, and Venice, where they would kind of meander around and then settle. Venice. Well, that's where they would stay sometimes. But ultimately Gibsonton became the settlement. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it was home to Priscilla the Monkey Girl, the Anatomical Wonder, and the Lobster Boy. Here they're calling them the Siamese Twin Sisters, which uh, we know is not the correct name, but uh, they, they, that's what their sideshow was known as, and they ran a fruit stand there. At one time, it was the only post office with a counter for little people. I'm having to edit this as I go because I pulled this from from Wikipedia. And aside from the agreeable winter climate, Gibsonton offered unique circus zoning laws that allowed residents to keep elephants and circus trailers on their front lawns and still does. Still do. Yep. And here's another thing. So I mentioned the Ringling Brothers Museum. If you are ever in Sarasota, go check it out. It's gorgeous out there. But the museum that you really need to go visit is in Gibsonton. Is yes, it is called the International Independent Showmen's Association and Museum. Uh, it is a nonprofit private organization made up of people in the outdoor amusement industry. 
It was originally opened in 1966 and expanded to be the largest showman's association in the United States. There are over 4,500 members from all over the United States and several foreign countries. It's awesome. There's not a lot about it in this little blurb, but it is, um, it's like a, a big warehouse, two floors. It's got sideshow games, uh, games that would be on the, what's it? The fairway, fairway, runway, fairway, I fairway? Think. midway, midway. Games on the Midway. It's got pictures. They've got they've got a lot of really interesting backstory. There's a lot of history. There's a library there for people who are studying, um, not for like you and me because we aren't studying things uh, having to do with sideshows and performances and circuses. But it's got a wealth of knowledge there. It's it's fascinating. It's a fascinating little museum. It has a life size statue of one of the founders who is. I don't know, 75 feet tall? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's really cool. And because we know that the history of, of sideshows and circuses can be fraught with some, some not so great things because the history in the United States is, is fraught. <laughs> yes. They actually do a, a pretty good job of acknowledging that and saying this is, this is why, you know, this is why we're calling it or in this, I don't know, poster, it's called Freaks, when what we would nor- what we would call them now is this, but this is an authentic replica or actual authentic poster. And so it's it's good. There's some, it's fascinating. There's history there. It's, it's a little nonprofit. And it's a town founded by them. Yeah. So. so absolutely go check it out. All right, the agents travel to Gibsonton to investigate a, <laughs> which... Well, to investigate a, a murder. They don't, they don't no, really... No, they don't. They travel to somewhere else in Canada. Right. That's not... I was... I didn't expect it, but I was really hoping that they would have filmed in Gibsonton. That would have been hilarious. So I'd be like, I know that place. I know where that is. Yeah, no. The foliage is not flora. No. And also you can see people's breath at different <laughs> times. Uh, they attend the alligator man's funeral... We find out that he was suffering from uh, from something called ichthyosis, and so I looked up what that was because, in my ignorant state, uh, I thought it was a disease that fish got. Remember when did you ever have an aquarium and then your fish would get ick, and you'd sure. have to put the ick stuff in there? That's all I know, and which is nothing because I was wrong. So ichthyosis is a family of genetic skin disorders characterized by dry, thickened, scaly skin. There are more than 20 types of ichthyosis ranging in severity from basically what looks like just dry skin to things that look like literal scaly fish scales. Ichthyosis comes from the Greek word ichthys, which literally means fish. And it can be genetic. It can be, uh, there's a couple of different ways that it can be inherited. And it's just something that some people have to deal with. Among the people they meet after the funeral are quote unquote self-made freaks is what they're calling them uh the human blockhead dr blockhead played by jim rose who interrupted the funeral by hammering a railroad spike into his own chest it was rude very uh and his quote unquote geek sidekick the conundrum who is played by the enigma who will eat anything but says nothing the agents also meet former performer Jim Jim, the dog face boy, but they don't know that that's who they meet because they they do know that they meet the sheriff of the town. Which is not a real thing. No. There, there is no local government in Gibson. <laughs> it's all handled by the county. I thought 
you meant it wasn't a real thing because he was the dog face boy and now he has just no dog face features. No, just that Gibsonton <laughs> does not have any local government. So I looked up a couple of things to see what these sideshow characters would, what, what, what was their deal? What was the deal with these <laughs> with these people? Now, What's the deal with yeah. these people? No, because I, I wanted to see what human blockhead meant. And if it was his actual title, like the Enigma is the uh, the, the conundrum's sideshow title or performer title. Mm-hmm. Um, and a human blockhead is an actual thing. It is a carnival or sideshow performer who hammers a nail or other implement, such as an awl or a screwdriver, into his or her navel, nasal, navel cavity, no, Ow. nasal cavity through their nostril. The stud is often shocking to audiences who believe that the nail is being hammered into the skull itself. In reality, the stunt plays on the anatomical misconception that the nasal cavity goes upward rather than straight back, mm-hmm. which I fa- found fascinating because we've been dealing with sinus stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes you feel like uh, driving a nail through your yeah. nasal cavity? Yep. Interesting. The performer merely learns the terrain of the nasal cavity and lessens his or her sensitivity and their urge to sneeze. Mm-hmm. Until the implement can be slid straight back through the nasal cavity until it hits the back of the throat. And then they'll use hammers and things just for shock value. Right. Just just crazy. It's good showmanship. It is. All right. So the Enigma had a little bit, but I talked about him up at the top and there's nothing really extra. And then um, I looked at, there's, oh, the, the dog face boy and people with... Um, I cannot remember what it's called, but with with that genetic condition, the hypertrichinosis. Yes, fascinating. But we didn't. Ha- I didn't have time to go into all of it. There's there's so many people. Check it out if you're interested. There's a lot of well known performers. There's pictures on Wikipedia, and it's just like it's just fascinating. I love circuses. If you can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So Mulder and Scully stay at the Gulf Breeze Trailer Court, which. <laughs> There is not one. (laughs) Here they meet the distrustful manager, Mr. Nutt and Lanny, an alcoholic with an underdeveloped conjoined twin named Leonard. Mr. Nutt has some really good speeches. He does. Up at the top here. He does a beautiful cold read on Mulder. Maybe you can grab that clip. Maybe. That'd be good. Yeah. It was really good. I, I can't do it justice by just saying it. No. And... Oh, so good. Great cold read. So uh, while they're in Gibsonton, the agents hear a story about the legendary Fiji mermaid. It is the quote-unquote humbug referred to in the episode's title. So humbug is not a Christmas thing. It is a trick. Bah. Yep. (laughs) Nobody can hear you shaking your head. Uh, Despite Scully's usual skepticism, Mulder is intrigued because of what looked like Simeon tracks left by the mystery attacker. I missed that entirely. There's, it's very quick, and uh, somebody's, I, it must have been Mulder said the tracks look like it could be the Fiji mermaid, and then he definitely sticks with the Fiji mermaid for a while. Um, they try to throw you off, but they did not throw you off, did they? No. As soon as I saw Vincent Schiavello's Quato at the funeral, I went, "Oh, the Quato did it." <laughs> you did. Yep. So, a production note about the Fiji Mermaid. Um, it's fa- it was a famous attraction exhibited by P.T. Barham in his 
Barnum's American Museum in New York in 1842. It was said to be the mummified body of a mermaid caught off of Fiji, but it was actually composed of the head and torso of a juvenile monkey attached to the body of a fish. In carnival parlance, such faked attractions are known as gaffs. Interesting. And if you would like to see a Fiji mermaid, okay, you can go to Orlando to the Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum, oh. and they have one. Interesting. Did you know that I've been to all of these places? <laughs> Did not know you've been to the Orlando one. Yep. We went to the St. Augustine one, but I don't think we did a tour of it. Oh, I don't think we did either. We must have run out of time. Yeah. We did do the Pirate Museum there. Also yeah. great. Yes. I, Super fun. by the way, love small, kitschy museums. Who doesn't? I don't know, but I absolutely do. So if you know of any that I can drive to in the COVID era, era let me know. <laughs> I will go and read all of their little plaques. The object, uh, the Fiji mermaid object, later vanished, likely destroyed in one of the many fires that affected Barnum's collections. And since then, many versions of the famous mermaid have been exhibited, like the one I mentioned that is located in Orlando <laughs> as we speak. And uh, some claiming to be Barnum's original, essentially faking a fake. That's pretty genius. It is. Especially in the time when people can't travel the same way that circuses do, mm-hmm. or did. Are, the, are circuses still a thing? I guess they still travel. Yeah. Yeah. So it would, it would, you know, brilliant, brilliant. Not mad. One night, Mr. Nut is fatally attacked by a creature. Boo. I, I was upset. Yeah. I did like right before this where um, we see the enigma. I mean, the conundrum of whatever. He's got a title for his name and his other name. <laughs> and um, we see Mr. Nut's dog barking and... The conundrum runs after it, and I'm like, you better not eat that dog. <laughs> you bet. I wanted to s- smack him on the nose with a rolled-up newspaper. The dog? No. The enigma. Because he acts like a an animal here, a pet, basically. And it was great because the dog runs back, runs into Mr. Nut's house through the doggy door, and Mr. Nut opens the door, mm-hmm. and then takes, unpins the, uh, the check. The from, rent check. Yeah, the rent check from the enigma. And it was perfect. It was a great way to get his money, I thought. Mm -hmm. And then he gets attacked, which he thinks that... So the dog starts barking through at the doggy door, and and Mr. Nut thinks that it is the enigma out there trying to eat his dog, and he's not having it, and he's he's basically shooing him away. I have a firearm and the willingness to use it. And I live in Florida, so... (laughs) But turns out it's not... It's not the Enigma trying to eat his dog still. I just realized this is another Twin Peaks alum that's in. Yeah. How many is that? That's a lot. I don't. I have do not have a running tally of that. I just have the running tally of if they've already been in. We've got to be approaching double digits on the Twin Peaks. Alums. I think so. Yeah. There's a lot. That was another reason that I said Mulholland Drive because that was... Uh, a David Lynch. Yeah. Yeah. Which I have not seen, but I did listen to a Bechtel cast on, and it sounds just <laughs> insane. It sounds like a movie I would not enjoy as much as I enjoy this episode. Interesting. But, you know, if other people enjoy it, great. Yeah. I would rather go to a circus museum. Very interesting. <laughs> so, Mr. Nutt is attacked fatally. The agents eventually discover that the attacker is Lanny's twin, Leonard, who is able to detach himself from Lanny's body. But before we figure that out, the person who finds Mr. Nutt's body is Lanny, 
and he comes with his bloody hands to Scully's trailer and unlocks the door and just shows up all bloody in her trailer. It was super weird. He didn't knock. He didn't holler. He didn't give any heads up, but she had her gun right there. Yeah. I mean, good job pulling the gun immediately, I guess. You're always talking about how her gun's never close enough to her. It still took her too long to get it out of of the holster. (laughs) Like, had Vincent Schiavelli wanted to hurt her, she would not have gotten her gun. But Vincent's not like that. He's not. He's an interesting looking guy, but he's not a dangerous guy. Unless he's... Unless he is, and I don't know. Part of the Romani that are cursing vampires to have a soul. Yep. In which case, he is dangerous. You're right. You know what? He's dangerous when he wants to be. Yeah. (laughs) Just like you. Just like me? Yep. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I sound so cool. (laughs) (laughs) According to Lanny, Leonard attacks people and attempts to burrow into them because he is looking for a new brother to replace Lanny, who is dying from liver failure due to years of alcohol abuse. That's unfortunate. He was pretty torn up about it. It was kind of sad. Lanny voluntarily locks himself in the local jail in an effort to keep Leonard from escaping, but it doesn't work because <laughs> because <laughs> Leonard can climb and crawl and run and disappear through some tiny little portal and reappear somewhere else, apparently. He's he was, incredibly fast. He was so fast. So fast. So he, he gets out. Uh, we do get to see Mulder and Scully try to capture Leonard inside the funhouse. Which was, honestly, I thought really well done. The Hall of Mirrors thing was a little bit trite, but... I wonder if it was in 95. I gotta imagine it was. We've seen it a bunch in the last 30 years, but I wonder. I bet I would have loved... I I bet I would have and did love... I've definitely seen this episode before. Mm. This is one that I was watching and I was like, oh yeah, I remember this. (laughs) Guess who I didn't remember? Uh, Mr. Nutt? No. The Quato? No. Uh, David Duchovny? (laughs) No. (laughs) They rag on David Duchovny so much in this for being so pretty. (laughs) Nobody calls him pretty, though. I wanted somebody to straight up say, call him pretty. I wanted Mr. Nutt to call him pretty to his face. Yeah, he almost did. He got close. But no, the person I didn't remember was Dr. Blockhead because what a forgettable person. Oh, you think so? I do. Okay. That is a person I do not want to spend any of my brain energy on. Yeah, clearly. You have not mentioned much of what he's been in in the episode. He hasn't been important, in my opinion. He was the red herring. That's pretty crucial to the episode. Yeah, The Fiji mermaid was the red herring. <laughs> oh, was it? Okay. The Fiji mermaid came up as often as Dr. Blockhead. They did think it was him. I don't know why. Because they didn't like him. Same. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly. Did you notice in the shot where Mr. Block, Dr. Blockhead, I'm sorry, Dr. Professor Blockhead, uh, was hanging upside down over the cauldron that had the fire lit underneath it, mm-hmm. getting himself out of the, uh, the not the straight wet, jacket. Yeah, I was going to say the wetsuit. No. <laughs> the straight jacket. Did you realize the Enigma was in there? Not at the time, not until he popped up. Right, I didn't either. So was he in there while it was boiling? It's not actually boiling. It's it's a show. It's a performance. If he fell in the water, do you think the Enigma would eat him? Yes. So it's like dangling over a shark-infested <laughs> yeah. tank? Yeah, that's the show. It's good. 
you know what? I'm back in. Yeah. To, to this good. show. I was already in for everybody else. It's good stuff. I like it. <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of Jim Rose, but that performance there was good. Performance? Yes. I guess that was a performance. His acting was less less than. It was fine. I think it was good for his character. It's true, I guess. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, when they leave the funhouse, <laughs> they see <laughs> they see Leonard just <laughs> scurrying away. Just the <laughs> fastest creature you've ever seen. No good sound effects though. No. This the only my only real criticism of this episode is no good sound effects. The foley artist should have been set free for this. There should have been all kinds of oh, just yes, just crawling through dried leaves sounds. All kinds of good stuff. Would have been good. <gasps> snakeskin rubbing on snakeskin. I have no idea what that sounds like. It should have been in this. Okay, then I would know. <laughs> All right. Well, they find uh, after they leave, they can't find uh, the the Leonard. <laughs> the Leonard. Yep. The Quato. That's what I'm calling it. <laughs> they do find the conundrum because we see the conundrum get attacked by Leonard, and then um, the agents. <laughs> Would you like to uh, to talk about the urgency in their running? Just a light jog. <laughs> They're like somebody's being attacked over here. The conundrum is yelling. We've never heard him make a sound. He's yelling. Ah, ah. And, and they're just the lightest. One of those where you're crossing the street and you're pretending to speed up. Yep. And you've got on like you've got on your your business shoes, your office shoes, but you're pretending like you're gonna run, but you know you're not gonna run. You not in your office shoes. Move your torso <laughs> yes. a little faster, but not your feet. But not Yes, that's exactly what it was. So they didn't get to him in time, and when they find him, the conundrum is lying on the ground, rubbing his stomach. With a distended belly. Yep. And no bite marks. They did make a um, they did make a comment about how all of the people who had been attacked had the bite marks in mm-hmm. them. Because apparently it was a lot of They had people. the same wound. Yes. Because this... Quato was trying to find a new... Uh... Brother brother i can't remember the brother's name in lanny total recall oh <laughs> but but that guy was in an episode in season one. Oh, all right the brother of the quato <laughs> so now we've had the quato and the brother there you go in the in the x-files it's just a whole family business here start the reactor quaid <laughs> quaid start the reactor since Leonard is still officially at large, the sheriff launches a search radiating outward from the trailer park looking for fresh tracks. Mm. They Appar- don't find Simeon it. tracks, apparently. Right. Even as he is orchestrating the search, he sarcastically asks Scully if she's sure what she saw was a disjoined twin instead of the Fiji mermaid who could have jumped back into the ocean and swum all the way back to Fiji. Which is a weird line. It should have said, into the Alifaya River, which is right there in Gibson. It is. I have run in the Alifaya State Park. I don't think that's near Gibsonton. Oh. Well, it's probably by the Alifaya River. Probably. Which I assume is longer than just Gibsonton. Yes. Yes. Geography. We're good. We're good at it. Mulder Riley comments that Scully has got just gotten a taste of the attitude people usually direct toward him at crime scenes. 
Interesting. Yeah. What was really fun was Mr. Nut always coming back and being, oh no, it wasn't Mr. Nut this time. And it, it was Dr. Blockhead. Yep, Dr. Blockhead's about to just... He does a good speech about how nature abhors normality, mm-hmm. and it'll always create a mutant. Otherwise, everybody would look like him. And it cuts over to Mulder, like, standing. Doing the Captain Morgan. Fo- doing, yeah, doing the Captain Morgan pose, like, looking up. Yeah. <laughs> it's really good. In just the baggiest suit. Oh, it's terribly tailored. <laughs> no product in his hair again. No. They weirdly picked an episode to talk about how good looking he is and then make him not look that great. I mean, he just looks the same as he always does because they have not figured out product. I don't understand why his hair is not beautiful. I don't either. Well, right before we get to that, uh, Dr. Blockhead is taking all of his stuff for his performances and also the Enigma. And they're going to go away because Leonard is still at large and he doesn't want to stay around. He says Leonard's next likely move will be to try to rejoin with Lanny, but Scully says Lanny died the previous night from cirrhosis of the liver. And Dr. Blockhead said, oh great, there's a moral to this story. It's don't (laughs) drink alcohol, which was actually pretty funny. It was. And then um, Scully says that she already did the autopsy on Lanny and then tells Dr. Blockhead all about the abnormalities in his system. Well, it's from one doctor to another. (laughs) We have established previously that he is not an actual doctor. Because Mulder did some sort of research. Yeah, he did. He looked into Dr. Blockhead. Because Dr. Blockhead said he was from Yemen, and you can look at him and know that that right. is not true. I, I did no research on Dr. Blockhead and can tell you he's not from Yemen. Mm-hmm. But of Lanny's autopsy, she said that his body showed severe abnormalities in his circulatory system and internal organs that were almost umbilical in nature. I don't know how that would actually work, especially since he deta- Leonard detached and ran away and whatever, but yeah. Reattach the umbilical parts, like one of those hoses that have the... Uh... I'm not going to be able to explain it on an audio podcast, so never mind. Um, As Dr. Blockhead prepares to leave town with the conundrum, he comments to Scully that with modern science eradicating genetic anomalies, that everyone is going to start looking like Mulder with his button-down, suit-and-tie-wearing office drones with no individuality, which was pretty great. Mr. Nutt did a better job dressing him down. Much better. But it was still fun that they doubled down on this. Yeah, I do like the the through line of yeah the episode is how pretty David Duchovny is. Yes, yep. I do hope that you have already found that little clip of Mr. Nut. Hopefully. Uh, now that I'm thinking about it, is Darren Morgan the one who wrote the episode where he was in a Speedo? This is Darren Morgan's first. First? I don't think that's true. It is. Hmm, okay. Darren Morgan was the um, was in that episode. He was the okay. The um, what was he? The fluke man. Okay, all right, that makes sense. I knew he had something to do with that episode. Yeah. So the conundrum looks unwell, and Mulder asks what the matter is. What's the matter? And the conundrum, his only line in the entire episode, replies, "Probably something I ate." Ha <laughs> <laughs> And we all laugh and slap our knees. He ate a quato. <laughs> Dr. Blockhead drives away with the conundrum. Mulder and Scully turn to each other with confused and somewhat shocked expressions. <laughs> and then it's the end. The end. We don't know if they keep looking 
for Leonard, or if they're just like, it's probably in that guy's belly. I don't know. All right. Well, a couple things I want to touch on. All right. There is the scene where Vincent Schiavella walks to Scully's trailer, and he's got, like, his robe. Oh, yes. Open, and Scully is gawking at his quato, and he is gawking at her side boob. Yep. And typically, I would be like, come on, Vincent Schiavelli, don't do that. But she's gawking at him, so fair game, I say. It's if you're going to gawk, you're going to get gawked at. <laughs> Gawking twinsies. There's the scene where the conundrum is just eating crickets out of a bucket or something. Oh, yeah. A little, little container. Yep. And they offer one to Scully, and she grabs it and throws it in her mouth. And she does actually put the cricket in her mouth. And I was like, oh, that was baller. So so did David Duchovny. Yeah, it was a good, it was a good move. <laughs> he came out of character as Mulder to become David Duchovny. <laughs> and it was like, what? <laughs> it was good. It, it was, was a, good. It was a power move. Yep. And I loved it. It was great. Then she goes to the one museum. I loved that museum. I know. I'm surprised you didn't bring it up because it was great. That's where they find out that the sheriff used to be Jim Jim the dog faced boy. Yep. Oh, and the curator says that he's going to show her something. Yeah. And that but, only the most curious minds can handle or something. And she's not allowed to tell anybody else uh-huh. to, on two conditions. Do not tell a soul. And okay. the second condition? Another $5 donation. Yes. It's great. Oh, it's Cause so the, good. Because then it's just the exit. <laughs> so good. But they talk about Chang and Aang. Yep. And he says that Aang, those are conjoined twins who were around in the 1800s. Yeah. And one of them died in the middle of the night, and the other one was still alive for a little while. That's not a true story. It's not? No. I thought it was. Um, I read about it, but I didn't write it down. Okay. They were definitely conjoined twins. But it didn't yeah. happen quite that way. Nobody can hear you. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was, for whatever reason, I was like, you can hear me. You were talking to me and not the microphone. Yep, I was talking to you. Okay, so I looked it up in Monsters of the Week. And in in this entry, they do say that that's not quite how the bunkers really died, which would be Chang and Aang, Chang and Aang bunker. But let's allow for some dramatic license. I guess so. And then it didn't explain further and... Yeah, because I thought that was how they died. But I guess that's just the story that got told on more than just the X-Files. Yes. So Scully goes out the exit, and I said, what was that you were saying about one born every minute, Scully? <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, Mr. Nutt is, in one scene, fixing some plumbing underneath Scully's oh, uh, yes. trailer. He comes out and uh, has some more choice words for Mulder. It's amazing. Who he keeps accusing of. Judging him on his looks and stuff, even though I'm not sure Mulder ever did. He seems a little defensive. He, yes, he does. The first time Mulder meets him, he's, he asks him if he also worked in the circus. Yeah, okay. It was something like that. But he keeps going in on it, and he says, you'd be surprised about how many women like the stature. And <laughs> Mulder says... And you'd be surprised how many men as well. I'm like, did Mulder just come on in this <laughs> It does jam him up a little bit. And yeah. he just walks away. Yep. They spy on the sheriff doing something shady out in the yard. Oh my god, this is so good. It's, yeah. so, it's so funny. Because then they go and dig it up and it's a potato. And 
I immediately knew what that was about. They didn't, though. I didn't either. And he comes out and explains warts. That's how you get rid of warts. You rub a potato on your wart. You bury it in your yard under the moonlight. And they're like, that doesn't explain the potato, though. <laughs> no, it explains it perfectly. At one point, Jim Rose, oh, he's got the hooks all in his chest. And he's going to suspend himself by it to reach, you know, spirituality or whatever. <laughs> and he had a great line. Something along the lines of spirituality is, there's a lot of pain involved in spirituality. And if more people knew that, there'd be more atheists. Yeah. <laughs> I, great line. Mulder is skeptical about the Quato at first, which seems yeah. real weird. You would think he'd be the one to jump at that, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> and they're looking, she, uh, Scully's looking out the window, and they're like, how, Smolder says, how mobile can this thing be? And it's like, <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. Scully says, too mobile. Yep. Which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> and then when they're in the fun house trying to find it, David Duchovny comes out of a slide in the wall. <laughs> they almost shoot each other. Yeah. Was which good. was fun and uh scully says we're gonna have to catch it on the way out and it's already long that's long. why i was saying that it goes into these little portals yeah. that we don't see and then comes out somewhere else right. because it's so fast and then that's when they do the light jog to yeah the yeah. conundrum yep really fun episode lots of hi- lots of good highlights we don't normally have the two segments separate but but yes there are definitely a lot of highlights in this one yeah good Good fun episode. It was just nice. Yeah. I really liked it. I did too. I would have loved for them to have been here in Florida, but I guess... You can't wear all the layers that they're wearing. No, and I guess the Enigma couldn't have gotten into the river and swum around here because... Alligators. and alligators. (laughs) So, all right. Fair. Super fun. Fun episode. Who are you shipping? Hmm... I don't have an idea right off the top. Do you have anybody in mind? Lenny and Lanny. Aww. Those guys should get along a little bit better. I I see that Leonard was trying to survive. Well, he'd been doing this for decades. 28 years. Yeah. So it didn't start with trying to survive. It started with, it started with disliking his brother. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Lanny did seem heartbroken, but also unwilling to change whatever was the actual problem, so... But the actual problem was uh, his quato was not exactly 100% sentient. <laughs> it was very sentient. Did you see that thing? It was hunting. It was stalking. Well, he said that he doesn't think Leonard knows that he's hurting people. So if, he does, if he's unaware that he's killing people, he's not 100% sentient. Yeah, but I think that was Lanny trying to protect his brother. I think the nature of the wounds suggests he's trying to attach to somebody else. I do think that he knows that he's killing them, though, because otherwise he would stay. Okay, I figured out who my uh, my ship is. Okay. It's the museum curator. Okay. And all of our $5 bills. <laughs> A good one. I like it. So good. So good. How are you surviving? Well, I think this is the second episode. Where I think I have to start drinking again. No. Because he's not going to attach himself to a drinker. Let's see. I'm going to survive by eating him. (laughs) I guess it worked in the episode. (laughs) All right. Fighting him off apparently didn't work for anybody, but eating him? 
Quado get in my belly. Beast to beast. So I'm going to turn on to beast mode. Beast mode. You are dangerous when you want to be. That's right, because I'm super cool. Yeah. <laughs> High five. Yeah. All right. Good episode. Very good episode. Lots of fun. I hope we can do more like these. Me too. Four more episodes left in the season. They should all be like this. Yes. And then if they're not, this is this is our um, this is our squeeze. We're gonna just have to refer to it every single time for the rest <laughs> of the season. I, I, yeah, the four more episodes. <laughs> yeah. He could have gone there. Tombs. He could have been. Yeah. A Gibsonton boy. Yeah. Instead of Baltimore. Yep. R.I.P. Everybody. I guess not enough good livers in Gibsonton. Uh, livers are the through line here. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah. They truly are. Wow. Huh. Look at us. Adding to the commentary. <laughs> good, good, good job, amateur critics. Yep. The Cast Files is produced by Kristen Riley and Dave Reed. Edited by Dave Reed. You can find us on Twitter at Cast Files. You can find me on Twitter at Dave Reed. That's D-A-I-V-E-R-E-E-D. You can email us at thecastfiles. That's the with two E's at gmail.com. If you could please go rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, give us five stars and tell us that we are doing phenomenal things. Artistic, wonderful things. We are raising the bar on podcasting. We would love you forever for that. We have a Tee Public store. You can go buy t-shirts and stuff there. Music by Hal Six. Logo by Anuka Art. That's O-O-K-A-A-R-T. IMDb says the agents search for a killer in a Florida town inhabited by so slide. Wow.